Hunters, welcome back to another Flushem and Dustin podcast. Tonight we have Stefan on. He is from the Philly area. Uh, he's also known as Clays and Wings on Instagram. Uh, so, as you can tell by his name, he's a big uh, clay pigeon shooter, wing shooter. Um, he has some pretty cool certifications that we're going to talk about. Uh, he's an NRA shotgun instructor. Um, so, very cool background. Uh, but, Stefan, I'll let you uh, take it from there. As I was saying, my, my uncle had German short hair pointers. Um, I ended up with an English Springer Spaniel because I, I kind of saw one or two over the years. And I thought they were neat looking dogs. Did the minimal research that I could do back then. And uh, coincidentally, my dad, who uh, who worked for the deputy sheriff's department here in Philadelphia, he knew he had a co-worker that uh, was, had bred them. And he came home one day with a pup for me. And I think I was 18 or 19 when that happened. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, when uh, how long were was a wild pheasant population, or uh, I guess is there even a wild bird upland population out in Philadelphia area right now? Uh, Pennsylvania tried a um, a reintroduction program. They were trading off wild turkey uh, to I think South Dakota and Montana just a few years back, and they had. Four, I think, wildlife management units set up or restoration units set up for pheasant. And uh, there's only, I think, one left right now. They do a youth hunt in the area. That seems to be be working really well out in that area because it has the contiguous acres. That's the biggest problem we have in Pennsylvania is we don't have the acreage that's, uh, you know, just continuous uh, anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's really hurt our pheasant population. Yep. Do you guys have... Uh, uh, like woodcocks and stuff come through yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. I have woodcock. Uh, I, I saw a couple this year um, while I was out pheasant hunting. Uh, they're, they're just neat little uh, little birds there. Uh, yeah. we, believe it or not, where my house currently sits, it was back in the day, it was a, a very swampy area. And we st- I still get, I caught one off my on my front step one day. It just, a woodcock? It was a woodcock. It was fatigued. If you go to, I should have it on Instagram. If you go to my Instagram page, there's a picture of me holding it. And both my dogs, I came walking up the steps and my, both my dogs just froze up instantly. And I'm like, by my barbecue grill. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And it was this, it must have been the bird's first migration. I, you know, it was just exasperated. It was tired. I just reached down and grabbed it. Coincidentally, my neighbor had come out of the house and she had a, a, a package, like a sneaker box. And I asked yeah. her for that. I put the woodcock in the box. Took my, I had just come home from work, so I'm in a suit and tie because I work in an investigative division, so I don't wear a uniform. And uh, I, uh, I had taken my tie off, you know, and, and uh, I put the little guy in the box in my dining room. I let him just warm up and rest for a little while, and I'm just like, uh, we have a big area down. Uh, it's called the uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, Park. It's a, we call it the lakes here. It's a series. It's I don't know how many acres it is, but we have deer in there, fox, uh, raccoons, all kinds of stuff. And there's a couple of really good wooded areas that go down to, to the lakes. So I was just in that area on, on an investigation. So I, yeah. I, that's the first thing that popped into my mind was I'm going to take this bird and release him down there. So I did uh, in my dress clothes, dress shoes, yeah. the whole nine yards. And I let the little sucker out of the box and he flew almost to the center of the small lake, not quite the center, and just petered out and hit the water. I'm like, oh, oh come on now. So yeah. lucky enough, there was a tree limb that was down. I, I stepped into, oh, not into the water, but close enough, and I kind of got him floating back to, to shore, and I got him on the tree limb, took him out of the water again, took <laughs> him a little bit further out of the bank, put him under a, uh, like a base of a tree that had some sun uh, uh, you know, ba- basking yeah. on it. So I figured he would warm up and dry off, and I left. I backed out, and I'm like, "All right, buddy, I saved you twice now. The third time's on you." Yeah. I actually, I actually went back the next day, and he wasn't there. So I don't. Hopefully, he got some, you know, needed <laughs> rest. And I figured it was the area he'd be looking for worms and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, maybe he got a little bit of, uh, of food in him, and he, he got up and left. But I see, I not that long ago, uh, I see him all the time. I, right by me is a place called Marconi Plaza. It's a three-acre park. That goes yeah. both sides of our main street, which is Broad Street or Route 611. And I flush woodcock out of there all the time. And I have two close friends of mine that are they're serious woodcock hunters. They go up to Maine, 
down in Cape May County, New Jersey, it's still a huge woodcock population, and, and they're very huntable. They go down there. I send them pictures. I just or or, or uh, you know, send them pictures of me hold them one on my front step, or yeah. I'll text them. I, I I just flush the woodcock walk at my dogs, you know, and they just yeah. crack up. So we just we go back and forth that. It's probably because they migrated through this area because there was so it was like I said a swamp marshy area back in the day that they built up. Yeah, and they're probably pre-programmed. At least that genetic strain is, and they still come through. So, Man, that's wild. It's pretty, and none of my neighbors really like. They don't know. They don't know what the heck that is. You know, what is it? Because yeah. one of them, I was talking to my next door neighbor one day, and one landed on the sidewalk right in front of us, and she's <laughs> like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "That's a woodcock or a timber doodle." And it like yeah. took a took a look around. And like five minutes later, not even five minutes, three minutes later, it just took off. And I'm like, yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy. Like you don't even have yards or anything, you know, and it, yeah, they still show up. Yeah, we have. Uh, it's funny we talk about the the, uh, the Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Down Roosevelt. I call it the lakes. I get confused with what its name was. But we had one of the last known uh, wild pheasant population down there. Uh, the game commission actually came in and trapped that trapped them out of there and relocated. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, I tell you a war story from work. Uh, when I was a detective, I, I was a detective in this area, uh, and uh, South Division it's called. And I was working for a sergeant, a uh, super nice guy, uh, not a, a city guy, not an outdoor guy. So, yeah. so, so we get a call to investigate a possible dead body uh, down behind the tennis courts of this the lakes complex. They, have, they, have a, they had a golf course in there. They had tennis courts. They used to have a pool back in the day. They closed that down. Um, some decent fishing in there, believe it or not, for being in, in, in the city. <laughs> yeah. But uh, some somebody was um, practicing karate in this secluded spot behind the tennis courts. And the Grateful Dead concert had just left Veterans Stadium at the time. That's how long ago it was. And the kid, he, he finds what he believes is a human body buried under wood chips. They had made a cross. They hung like a T-shirt off of the cross, and they stuck it into this pile of big pile of wood chips. Calls us, sergeant comes and gets me. Come on, Steve, we're going out. So we go out, and we're walking to the back where this is, and a rooster pheasant cackles and takes off. What? He jumped. He jumped out of his skin. He's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Relax, Sarge. It's just a pheasant." Yeah. He said, "Yeah." And the, another buddy of mine used to golf down there all the time, and I think it was uh, the twelfth hole. He asked me, what are these birds that come flying out of the woods next to the 12th hole? And he's telling me they make noise and all this other stuff. And yeah, it's pheasant. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Even uh, when I was in, a, in patrol, was another section of South Philly. Um, we went back to Grace Ferry Avenue with the railroad tracks. And there would be nothing to park along Grace Ferry Avenue on a Sunday morning. Just to go back there and like clean our vehicles and everything like that. Yeah. And have pheasant come walking out down the railroad tracks uh, uh, there was an old naval home back there off of Grace Ferry Avenue. Beautiful facility. They make condos out of it now. But uh, they used to have a big tree that was down. There would be a rooster pheasant, uh, like, come up there pretty routinely and, and crow and, and, like, strut his stuff <laughs> on the log. And this is the heart of South Philly. We used to call it the a guy that I worked with. He wasn't really sure what they were. So I told him. And then I called it the Grace Ferry Chicken, uh, <laughs> a, gaudy, a gaudy chicken. And every time I see him, he goes, you see any more of those gaudy chickens? So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's funny. That's crazy that they're just we're right in the middle of right in the heart of Philly. Yeah. They're they're uh you know, it's pretty neat. We get deer. There was there there was a um about a six point buck. I don't don't live that far from one of the ramps to go to the Waltman Bridge, so it's six seventy six. Yeah. And apparently a buck wa wandered down, got stuck up on that ramp and jumped off the side. When he jumped off the side, he jumped into the yard of the mechanic shop that's on the corner for me and broke his neck. They called me and they're like, they're, they're, did you do, have anything to do with this? What do I do? And here's this buck. Wasn't a very big six pointer, but here's this buck land. And, and when it went over the side rail, it bounced off a, a, uh, a Chevy Tahoe that was in there for work. <laughs> so now it's Jeez. like wedged between the wall of the Chevy Tahoe and, and the, uh, you know, the, the gate of the, the business. So yeah. Yeah. Man, crazy. that's freaking wild. Oh, man, you got some interesting stories for just living right in the heart of yeah. Philly and game birds right in there. And, and that's crazy. So they have a lot of friends of mine. They're like, well, people that I meet, they're like, only you would know this. The people call me all the time. What is this? I'm like, I'm not a game bi wildlife biologist. You know, I just, <laughs> I just uh, this is what I've been into since I've always been into it since I was little. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, the same uncle that got me into shooting, he uh, he had a farm in Bradford County, about 100 acres or so, and uh, used to take me up there. Oh, used to go up for family weekends and stuff like that. And uh, they left me up there one time. They forgot me on the way home. <laughs> home alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I forget how old I was. I have an older cousin, Stephen, as well. And they did a head count in the van. And when they called Stephen, my cousin answered, here, I, I had gone to the bathroom. And when I came out, <laughs> nobody was there. But, Jeez. you know, we were, uh, we were up there for a day or so. And um, I knew where he kept his twenty-two. And so here's my plan. I'm like 10 years old and I'm, I'm going to turn into Daniel Boone and survive in the wilderness. You know, then they, they came back around to get me once they realized that I actually wasn't in the van. And uh, <laughs> I was sitting in the living room playing the piano. Well, tinkering on the piano, you know, yeah. the keys. And they're like, I said, I said, sooner or later, you're going to come and get me. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't going to make it too missing. far. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so. that's, that's a, that's a good story. So you had, uh, you said one of your, uncles was the one that got you into shooting um was he like so obviously you're um an nra shotgun instructor uh and you're a nsca certified level two um was i want you to get into those um what the instructor means and what the certified level two what that all entails but was your was your uncle um involved in any of uh these organizations or um, was this something that you just did on your own? He got me started with sporting clays. You know, we start talking. He took me skeet shooting. Uh, one of the first, actually, I think the first time I ever shot skeet out of an organized skeet field instead of a little uh, trap machine, you know, a little thrower. Um, yeah. And then I had shot it one time. With one, we have a lot of uh, private pheasant clubs here because, um, you know, just uh, the one I was at today, We instead of hunting pheasant, we were doing a duck shoot. So, yeah. um the, the owner up there says to me one time, and I was I had a German wire hair pointer after my Springer Spaniel went down, and the wire hair pointer was a hunting machine. I, I loved that dog. She, she was fantastic. Uh, so he says to me, do you ever shoot the sporting clays? And I said, no. He says, well, come on out. So I, I shoot around the sporting clays. And I like from that moment on, I was just shooting a Ruger Red Label 12 gauge. You know, and I'm just like, I, I was, they had, a, they had a, a competition up there, and I went. And I didn't know I was missing targets. They, they, you know, I didn't know they had like middies and minis and stuff like that. And they're zipping by. And if memory serves me right, uh, I, w- I was like really had a head cold or something that day. I wasn't feeling great. And I'm just, but I'm going anyway. You know what I mean? And guys are telling me, what are you, they're coming up to me and like, what are you using for this presentation? I think I'm going to switch my chokes to like improved cylinder and I'm going to use number eight shot. And, and I'm like, I got seven and a half shot and a fixed choke gun. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm using. You know, so I happened to mention to my uncle, he goes, oh, yeah, I shoot that. He says, you know, I shoot it down. There's a place in Jersey, uh, there's a couple of places. So um took me. And I always wanted a, a better over and under. Yeah. So he had a, a close friend who was selling um, a Browning, a Browning Ultra Excess. I actually still have the gun. And um, actually it was his, uh, his friend Ross was selling one, but his cousin, my uncle, married my father's sister, so he's not my blood uncle. So his cousin was selling an Ultra XS with a complete barrel set. So I bought the one off of Ross, and Richard was interested in the gun I had for some So we did a swap. For some reason, he just liked the way the one I, I had yeah. felt better or shot. So we did a swap. And uh, I started shooting that, started shooting I took a couple lessons. Uh, used to go with him all the time. And I progressed pretty rapidly um, as far as getting, getting consistent and score-wise and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he would go and he would, he would always get a kick out of me we went for uh, a gun fit up to New York. And he, he, I still remember this. There was, there was a, uh, it was a screaming crossing target. It had to be 60, 70 yards out. And we're working with an instructor up there. The guy's doing our gun fit. And uh, like, it was, I, I just couldn't hit it. It was just so far and, and so fast. So finally I get some instruction from the, the instructor behind me and boom, I break it. And boom, I break it. And I turn around and I look at him. And uh, he says, I still remember that grin on your face, you know, when you, when you broke it the first time, the way you turned around and looked at me. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I just, it, it's for me, it's, it's very, very addictive. It really, really is. Um, so then I start shooting with a couple of friends. And this is, leads into instructing. And 
I would just say, hey, listen, try pushing your barrel out a little bit over here. Try this. And one of them said, you know, you give us pretty good calls, so to speak, to help us break targets. You should become an instructor. So I looked into it. And uh, I had met a, a guy at Lehigh Valley Sporting Clays, which is in uh, Lehigh County, Pennsylvania. He's not that far. It's about an hour and 10 minutes from my house. And uh, he then bought his own place, which was a little further up. This is around 2005, 2005, 2006. And uh, I get in touch with Mike and I'm talking to him. He says, well, we're going to have a, a level one class up here at Rock Mountains, Rock Mountain Sporting Place. So I go up, I spend a couple of days and take the course and I get certified. You know, and it was a great course. It really, really was. So I started instructing. Uh, not much. I mean, in, in my area where I'm, I'm located, you have some of the best shooters, instructors in the world, literally. Um, yeah. and, and so I'm like, I'm like the good old Chevy truck compared to like these <laughs> guys who are Ferraris and had a, had a client tell me that one time. But I can get you where you need to be to break targets consistently. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? So uh, level two course came up. I called the instructor from the level one because back then the NSCA had all these, you needed so many hours of instructing and you wanted a, a log paid so many paid hours and all this other stuff. But the instructor who was hosting course had the option to see if you had uh, known ability to take the next level. So I called the guy, uh, Gary Bloom was his name and he was hosting the level two at the same course where he took the level one. And it was like almost two years to the date of 2008. And, um, he says, yes, Steve, he says, uh, you know, knowing you and watching you shoot and everything and instruct, he goes, you can handle level two. So come on up. He goes, there's no guarantee, you know, but come on. Yeah. Up. And uh, he what's nice about uh, even the I, I've also taken the, the Schindler. You ever hear of, uh, Dan Schindler? Paragon, not... School, Paragon School of Sporting. Uh, he's okay. down in South Carolina. Uh, Dan's, he, he gives you a heck of a, of a program. It's a six day course. Uh, to get, get one of his certifications through his uh, Paragon School of uh, Sporting. So uh, I end up taking that instead of taking level three for NSCA. I'd still like to get the level three. But... So what's the, what are the, what's the differences between like the one, two, three? What is, um... they, they just, like... they give you more of like level. Well, they, they've added so many different levels. The NSCA, they have club, basically a club pro, and then they have a junior, and I, I actually don't know what those are about. I guess the club pro is is just like for the the gentleman shooter who wants to go up, and men and ladies uh, who want to go up yeah. and just know the basics and be safe and break some targets, you know. And then okay. the scholastic scholastic coaching, I guess it's geared more towards you know the younger mindset or and, and you know and everything. I got to say the NRA, the NSCA, even Dan Schindler, safety safety is paramount. Yeah, you know, yeah. They really, really, and needless, it goes without saying. I should say that, uh, um, yeah, you, you got to be safe, and, and that's the biggest thing. The NRA course uh, was at a rural sportsman club out in Chester County, and it was absolutely um, almost like zealots on safety. I'm <laughs> just like <laughs> you were afraid to move. You know, and a large yeah. part. Well, I'm six foot two. And a large part of it was in this clubhouse that had like a six foot ceiling and literally, um, <laughs> and you have your gun up there and they want you to do it with you. And of course it's safe. It's empty, no ammunition around. And if you, if you made the mistake of with an open gun, it was an over and under with an open gun, but you happen to walk by somebody, they're like, Oh, he did. And I'm just like, I'm six foot two and I'm 250 pounds. You know, I'm trying to, yeah. you know, trying to do what I need to do. And, and get up to the front to give a presentation, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah <laughs> I remember when, when I went through the uh, police academy and we had our shooting instructions, uh, our shooting instructors, I mean, obviously safety, like you said, was the biggest thing. And, you know, don't put your finger on the trigger until you're ready right. to pull, you know, that stuff. And I remember, uh, I don't remember what drill we were doing, but I moved my finger down to the trigger like probably a, a second and a half too soon, you know, <laughs> before it was like the target turned or something. And uh, I didn't know the instructor was like, he was right behind me. And he was a, a 
uh, ex-Marine, just like super intense guy, you know, and um, he just he just laid into me after that. And I ever since then, it's like it just ingrained in my head, you yeah. know, and yeah. I mean, it's it was it sucked at the moment, you know, because you felt about this tall, I, you know, but it's just like it's crazy how just that one situation ever since then is just like I'm so like I can just feel exactly where my finger is and you know and whatnot but that's you know when I when I meet a client and I have clients from age nine I had I had a string of kids birthdays for a while um, yeah like so a, before you before you talk about your client you have um, claysandwings.com right mm-hmm. is that yep. your site so um, yeah so talk about that and then bring in your your okay. clients that you- so yeah, around 2006 after I got my first certification uh, like I'd like this do this on the side besides doing police work just because I like being outdoors. Wasn't looking to make a ton of money, just a supplement. Actually, I wanted to instruct to supplement my shooting. What, what a better way, you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm out on the course and I'm getting paid. Um, I started with like 50 bucks an hour back then and, uh, um, got my first client. I still have a photocopy that, that her dad and I end up becoming friends. And, uh, I still have a photocopy of, of the check he paid me with. So that's my, nice. my, my first uh, client. But uh, so then I'm talking word of mouth. I know some guys. I have a buddy of mine who, uh, who were very instrumental in my young life as a hunter as well. He was a neighbor. He now owns a gun shop in Philadelphia and uh, has a range. So I had some business cards made up. I put it up his his gun shop, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And that's how I got my first client. They found my card up at the gun shop. And uh, really wasn't getting a whole lot. I happened to be talking to my brother-in-law. And he says, I uh, got to build a website because it's pretty easy. So... He gave me, uh, it was through Yahoo back then, Yahoo Site Builder. Yeah. So I put this, you know, took some pictures on my phone of some clients with permission and stuff like that I had been working with, and I built the website. So going back and forth with, what am I going to call it? What am I going to call it? I said, what do I do? I said, I shoot clay targets and I shoot birds. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. clays and wings. Clays so and wings. That's, it yeah. rings too. Yeah. So, and, and my logo, a friend of mine that I met through shooting, um, we were going back and forth and she does that kind of design stuff and stuff like that. And she just shot me an email one day. She goes, what do you think about this? And I went, that's it. Yeah. So I've been using that ever since. Uh, nice. so, um, it's fun. I mean, uh, um, then 2008, I got my level two. I'd picked up some clients, you know, and, and had some steadies, uh, return clients. Uh, one guy in particular, God, he gave me a ton of business. Really good shooter. He started out with a Browning uh, Synergy Sporting, which was a super nice gun. Uh, I liked it so much. He shot the Synergy for a while. Then he showed up one day with a Craig off all decked out and fit it for him and everything like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like I like getting people started to the point where they almost like you fledge them like they're your child, right? They go on their own. You know, yeah. and you know granted, if you look at it on the business side, it's nice to know that, I'm going to have repeat clients every every month or stuff like that. But yeah, how often can you have the same client? You know, to the point where either the guy's terrible, or he, he you know, you just almost feel like you're taking advantage of him. You know, after after a while, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm not that type of person. I just never was. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. um, and then I had a string of uh, ladies, and they're they're fantastic. Uh, you know, they just want to. Uh, they they learn quicker. And they listen better than guys. There's no <laughs> machismo, no ego associated with it. You know, they get frustrated, you know, just like a guy gets frustrated, but they're good. They're good people. They're good shooters. They're really good shooters. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So where do you like, uh, let's say uh, a client comes in, um, what's kind of your routine to get them started and take us through like how you evaluate um you know steps yeah first i one of the first things i do even before we shoot uh phone conversation just get a general uh knowledge of their shooting experience i have people that have shot rifle and longtime rifle pistol shooters um they can be some of the hardest people to uh to get away from looking at your front sight i mean i know see i have that like with shooting a handgun for being an officer, I have like I'm really good with the handgun, but God, sometimes when I come to shotgun and I just are you uh, left-handed? I am left-handed because I, I was watching one of your videos and yeah, um, my buddy's son who 
we I helped raise in the hunting world. He's he's a grown man now, got kids of his own. But he was asking me uh, about you know, flush him and dust him, and I sent him information, and he watched the same video, and he goes, "Oh, who's the lefty?" And I said, <laughs> "I think it's Tyler." So he picked it up. So I have to give Michael all, all the credit. Yeah, on that. it's all so, me. Do you know your eye dominance? Uh, left, left okay, eye. So, so you got that yeah. going for you because I got to tell yeah, you. Yeah, sometimes it's different. Yeah. I got to tell you that it can be cross-eyed dominance. It can be, you know, I'm bold under this hat and, and cross-eyed dominance can be, you know, I'm, I'm pulling out my eyebrow hairs because it's, uh, you know, it can be so frustrating for people. Um, yeah. You know, there's tricks in the trade for that. I, I, I have, uh, yeah, you can use a dot, you can use tape, you can use Vaseline, you can use lip balm and try to get a, you know, if, if you can get a, uh, a dry erase marker, color dry erase markers, to match their lens close enough. You can even put a dot with the dry erase marker on their lens. And then it just wipes right off at the end of the day. So that's huh. how you kind of, kind of defeat the, uh, at least the cross side dominant stuff like that. It's pretty yeah. easy to pick up. You know, you'll just see, I'm always observing number one for safety, but of course the tar- bird barrel relationship, the target relationship to the bird, to, uh, to the barrel and the shooter. And if you just notice them pulling way off and pulling way off, and then I'll usually go do me a favor close your left eye for me, you know, and, you know, shoot this. And we, I start them off with an easy incomer, a nice fluffy, slow crosser, 10, 15 yards. If you can find, but nothing, nothing going 60 miles an hour. You know what I mean? A nice 20 yard, I call them fluffy crossers, shooter friendly birds and, and, uh, and just watch them. And then, you know, back in the day when I first started at level one, the NSCA was, they were big on everything uh, maintained or sustained lead. Just maintain or sustain. And some people just can't comprehend that. You know, they need that. They need that awareness that they want to point the, the gun or the barrel at the target. You know, and then I got to tell them to move instead of start the barrel out here. And you know, just keep the same space. Trust your brain; it will do the math for you. And yeah. it, it does, and it will. Um, and they're usually amazed when when they break their first couple of targets uh, with that. But there's a lot more. Uh, and I think there's a couple of, of better ways, um, you know, that with with uh, basically pull away where you where you're developing the line or the target. You you know where the barrel where your bird is the barrel yeah the bird barrel relationship is, and then you can just establish the line of the target. It, it makes you a more acute, more visually aware shooter. Yeah, and do you do you recommend that people shoot with both eyes open? Hundred percent. And 100%. what's the, I guess, what what's the benefit of both eyes open versus having one closed? Peripheral vision, especially on pickups. You can get away with one eye uh, on a, on a uh, almost a trap shot or something coming in, you know, an incoming target. But when you're dealing with crossers, especially when there's a, a simo pair or a, uh, a, a, a report pair, but the targets are coming from two different locations, you know, uh, two drastically different locations. Your eyes are everything. I mean, one of the yeah. things that I really, really stress, actually, the biggest thing I really, really stress uh, when I'm talking to shooters is eyes. And just set, use your eyes to your advantage. When you're hold point, if, uh, if you're a high gun shooter, I mean, a, a, mounted, a, pre, a pre-mount shooter, um, you know, lock yourself into your gun, keep your head steady, but use your eyes. Push them as far to the left or right as possible, as you can see. For the trap house, you know, for the bird to come. And I'm not saying look directly at the trap house, but you want to see it as quickly as possible and, and allow yourself to watch it transition from that blur or the orange streak or the black streak or pink or green, whatever they have these days, to something yep. that's a solid target to where then you can get a good, really good focus and see what you need to see as far as rings or dots on the target to follow through and break your shot you know, as it goes into your break point. That makes sense. Do you, uh, do you feel the... Uh, you mentioned the shot cam earlier. Do you feel that has helped you as a shooter um, at all? Or do you use that as a tool for, uh, or do you recommend that as a tool for people that are looking to shoot better? I do. Um, that uncle I told you about that's 89. Yeah. So let, last March, I mentioned that he, he bought me that shot cam. He bought me the shot cam. Um, felt I needed one, but not only for my own shooting, but he felt that I could use it for clients. Um, so I in turn went out and bought the latest iPad to take with me with clients. And for some reason I can't get them to, to match up. I tried it the other day again. I, it'll sync, but I, it, the video doesn't come out. So uh, I don't know what it is oh. on my end. Uh, but the biggest thing with the shot cam 
to learn from is to watch those videos the same day or as soon as possible. That If you can go back to the clubhouse and sync it up or you go back to your car and sync it up and watch those videos. Because if you go three days later, unless you have, unless you're writing it down and keeping specific notes, station one, I shot three shots and they correspond with video one, two, and three yeah. on the shot cam, you're going to get confused. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you can, you know, plug in a microphone and, you know, narrate to what, what station, here I am at station one, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and it's yeah. like a left to right crosser on target one and a high incomer on target two. That would be pretty neat, but, you, you, you know, you have to do something like that to, to, uh, but you can, I watched the, uh, one of the ducks I shot today. I missed it with the first shot, and I had a pretty good lead on it. And then I, I stretched even further with the second shot and, and nailed it. And I'm like, wow, I really had to open up that far to, to, to hit that duck. And my problem is I see lead back at the gun, so I see it in inches. Whereas a lot of shooters, most of your shooters, see it out at the barrel, and they see it in feet. So to me, what looks like six inches is probably, you know, a good four or five feet. Yeah. So when you hear, when somebody says to me on the course, how much lead did you give that? I go, ah, about that much. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And they're like, what? Uh, you, you used to hear, give it a school bus, a school bus. Give it two <laughs> school buses. You know what I mean? Give it yeah. some. Yeah, I, I started when I'm talking to clients, uh, and you had mentioned it's like new clients and stuff like that. When we get into some other lead methods or sustained lead, I'll say, give it some, give it a little bit more than what you, whatever you've seen, whatever you saw, give it a little bit more, give it a little bit more than that. Right, give it a lot this time, that kind of thing. So yeah, yep. just you kind of, um, as part of being an instructor for me is matching uh, your words, your, your terminology with the experience of the shooter and also what type of thinker the person is. Where if you have somebody that's like a really analytical, uh, analytical thinker, you have to be a lot more exact than somebody who's more like a free thinker. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to a 12-year-old, you know, who's yeah. kind of, yeah. Like one of my big things when I can't get people to relate to a target is as far as shooter on the left side, shooter on the right side, I always go to a clock face. We try to tell a 15-year-old in today's world, you know, shoot it at <laughs> yeah. 9 o'clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, You're like <laughs> looking at yeah. their watch, like yeah. that makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, exactly. I actually used to I wear a big Invicta watch with numbers on it, and I would go, "See, see where I'm yeah. pointing at here, and that's where I want you to shoot it." I've since had some. Uh, I have some training aids that I had made up. Well, there were actually uh, there's a guy. Where the heck's he at? Midwest somewhere. He makes trophies. He makes full size, uh, like white flyer size target trophies and stuff like that. So I had him make me up a couple. They're off his clock, which is a full-size target. But I had him add a ring onto it for me. And basically, it's a clock number. So 12. The shooter's always at 6 o'clock. You always keep that in mind. You're at 6 o'clock. So you know the angles of where you're coming from. You know, and anything that might be a deep quartering bird these days, say 8, 9 o'clock, well, 8 o'clock or so, that's more of a, a crossing bird. That trap house is probably going to be 15 to 20 yards away from you. So you want to approach that as a as a crossing more than a quartering bird. Okay, that, you know, keep that. I just had a friend of mine. There was a big uh, tournament down at one of the clubs in Jersey. The one I was at today, M uh, and Sporting Clays down in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Um, they're one of the premier clubs on the East Coast. People come over. He's always he has the Northeast Regional. He's going to have the the Worlds in twenty twenty four are going to be there. Nice. I just had a big tournament a couple weeks ago. A buddy of mine calls me. He says I can't hit this target. He shot it. I can't hit this target. He says, it's coming from, he's, draw, he's drawing it and sending me pictures of it. He says, it's coming from your left. It's low. It's really fast. Is it a quartering target? Well, I think it's a quartering target. I said, well, how far is the trap machine away from you? That's right there. So I go down the following week. They left the targets up. I go down with another, it's a police officer that's getting in the tournaments, and he asked me to give him a little help. So I went down, and uh, I very rarely bring my gun when I'm instructing, but this, yeah, this friend of mine, he was a friend, so I want I wanted to shoot some tournament targets as well down as well down this place because they're fantastic. So yeah. he was shooting with my other friend, and he goes, "So this is the one that Carlo was mentioning about that." I said, "Okay." So I'm looking at it, and I went, "You got to shoot this as a crosser." I said, "It's just so the trap machine is about 20 yards away from you, and it's just so fast." And the thing about it was going over a pool of water, and then it was diving into the bank. So you didn't have a whole lot of stretch on the target. So you had to shoot it a little quickly. Yep. And I got in, I got in the stand, and 
um, you know, got set up. I, did, I missed it the first time, and I just moved my whole point out a little bit, and then boom, I broke it. Boom, I broke it. And I'm just like, you got to shoot it as a crosser, and that, that's the biggest problem, you know, the biggest thing. You got to learn to your advantage, especially if you're a tournament shooter, you got to learn how to read that target line. You know, as I said, I, I stress eyes all the time, uh, especially as you get older. I had an eye doctor appointment yesterday. Got, you know, good news. I still, my 2020 is still with me. I need cheaters, you know, yeah. consistent with age and that yeah. kind of thing. But, um, yeah, you got to take care of hydration. Uh, you know, when, when I talk about uh, other things while I'm instructing, one of the biggest things I talk about is staying hydrated. I bring three, four bottles of water with me on the course, especially in the summer. Our eyes yeah. work off of water. You know what I mean? So you got to stay hydrated. I'm not a big fan of sports drinks. Uh, I like my sugary. I like sweet tea. I like lemonade, but I try to stay away from them when I'm shooting. You know, I, I stick uh, basically to water you know, or unsweetened you, tea. You just mentioned like learning the like flight path or like target line. Uh, yeah, the target line. Um, I got a video that I'll be posting in a few days and one thing like for me to record all my misses that everybody loves to see on the old social media, it's like they, they get the most views and comments and everything. People just, I don't know, they always make fun of me about it, which getting better, but uh, I rewatched it in slow motion. I can see like when the bird gets up and the way my barrel's going, it's like the bird's going like when you watch my barrel, you can tell my mind's thinking the bird is angling more this way where it's angling more like it's a slow angle, but more straight back. Right. And my barrel's like coming through when I post it. Um, I'll tag you in it. So you, so you see it. You'll, I think you'll be able to see like where my, my right. mind was thinking the bird was going and it was not going to where my barrel was going. <laughs> unfortunately. So, you're talking about a live bird instead of a yeah. clay target. Yeah, sure. I yeah. mean, and, and there's the difference between wing shooting and, and clay target shooting you know the, the, the pre-elected flight path or the pre-selected flight path of a clay target. You get the show pair as well. Uh, a live bird, you know, you, do you guys hunt? Well, you're in Iowa, correct? Yeah. Yep. Do you guys have a dove season in Iowa? We do. Yeah. Yep. I, one of my favorite things in the world to, to shoot any, but I call them sporting clay, live sporting clays. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just when you think you're going to hit it right here, what's it doing? Oh. You, you, you know what I mean? Even Those after you pull are... the trigger. Man, they just like I swear they can see the BBs coming. Somebody just, told me that years ago that they're one of I don't know how true it is. I, again, I'm not a game biologist, but they say they can actually see I was told some old timer in the neighborhood they yeah. could see that they could see the swarm of pellets coming at them and, and dodge it. And I'm like It's crazy because it it feels like it. Yeah, because yeah, you pull the trigger and next thing you know they just flip or they they do something and one day you can shoot them like lights out and then the next day it's like can't hit the broadside of a barn yeah yeah the biggest you know, they... uh uh for me I, my uncle again my uncle vero we call him we always call him always call him uncle richie his last name is richie but his first name is actually vero yeah and uh he was friends with an old timer who had a farm down in delaware and he used to set the farm up just for dove hunting nice. so of course he said he tells me about this way too late in my life because the guy in the delaware got all encroached where he was at and he had to end up selling but oh. I, we had about a good five, six-year run going down there, maybe five years. And nice nice family, nice guy. But we are in Pennsylvania. We couldn't use uh, electronic decoys. You could take the doves and put them in the tree, you know, the regular decoy. Yeah. So I go down one day, and the guy, Bob, who owns the farm, he says, Steve, we've got mojo doves. I'm like, what the heck is <laughs> mojo dove? So they put a couple of us, myself and another guy, and they had two mojo doves in between us. Let me tell you, I, I limited out in 20 minutes. Jeez. It was just the, the, and back then the limit was 12 birds. Um, okay. I think it should actually go back to 12 birds if you ask me. So but, 15, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 15. But uh, the guy that had the other one near him, he was done in 15 minutes. <laughs> I I went back to the barn where this guy, Bob, had hey, some cooler and stuff like to get something to drink. And I'm putting my gear away because I had parked in the shade. And he comes over to me, goes, what's the matter, Steve? I said, I'm done. I was going to go sit with my uncle because he was he was older than me. I was just going to help. I was going to be his bird dog for him so he didn't have to retrieve. Yeah. And uh, he goes, you're done. I said, yeah, I got my limit. I'm done. I said, I'm going to just get you know a glass of uh, a cup of water or whatever. And I'm going to go out and sit with my uncle. 
hey, already? I'm like, that mojo dove is like magnet. <laughs> it's just like a <laughs> magnet. I mean, it was just some of the, 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 the easiest dove shooting that I've ever experienced. It was fun. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It was fun, but it was still like, it's like a magnet for them. That's they crazy. They don't decoy like that in Pennsylvania to, to the mojos. We, you know, we could use them now. Uh, they yeah. help. They help, but they don't. Not the, like them in Delaware. The one thing that, that I found that worked really well this past year was the flock of flickers. Mm-hmm. Those little things on the ground that just do that. Um, I can't remember. Not I don't remember how old the guy was that I was talking to out in the dove field, but uh, I met him there that that morning at like three o'clock in the morning. You know, because it's a public place and it's a good spot. And he's like, "What are you using?" I'm like, "Oh, I just have uh, just a mojo, then a couple of the small full bodies that uh, Lucky Duck has." And uh, he's like, "It's like I'll give you a, I'll give you a tip." He, and he's like, you watch your mojo. And he's like, then watch where. And he had just he just put out these flock of flickers, and he had four or five of them. Man, those doves would cut. They'd be flying, and they would just like bomb right into those. And they kind of swirl around mine, you know, and not really commit to uh, locking up. But man, they had that. And then I bought some for later in the year when we were hunting a couple cornfields. And man, they were just. They were awesome. They they worked a lot better than um, the mojos did. So I, I, be something my, to try. My one buddy has them. Uh, just we just haven't been able to hook up for the season yet. But yeah. now this year I hunt it since Bob sadly has uh, closed up shop because of encroachment. He had to sell. Uh, I hooked up with a guy down in Maryland that I waterfowl hunt with and dove hunt with, and yeah. so it was. It wasn't. It might have been the second Saturday of the season. And uh, there was a couple of us that had mojos. And they seemed to work down in, in Maryland as well. But this year, once we took the mojos down, then the birds, they bur- they just were flaring away from the mojos. Huh. Now, I don't know. What yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, it was so unnatural about it. But I just yeah. had my two, and I didn't really have them set. But there was a guy uh, uh, down from me, you know, 50, 60 yards down from me. He had one of those mojo trees. Like oh, a gigantic yeah. antenna with dove on it. And I, yeah. and, I mean, I'm not. But I, I think it might have been his setup that was, or oh. just the setup of everything that was flaring. Yeah. So many, I yeah. end up taking mine down and just putting them, you know, in, in the sunflower patch behind me. And yep. then, uh, you know, we got some shooting. So. Nice. Uh, do you use this? Is Do you have a much of a different setup between your trap shooting gun and a wing shooting gun? Uh, not really. I prefer 30 inch barrels. I shoot 30 inch on my sporting clay gun, and, and uh, I'm a big over and under guy. Although I yeah. have I have a couple of semi-automatics that I like. I was using a Fab Arms today for the waterfowl hunt. Um, I'm a big fan of 16 gauge. That's my, yeah. that's my favorite gauge. Um, I have two 16 gauge Browning over and unders, and I have uh, the which new, models? Uh, I have a 525 Field. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. I, I'm lying. I have three. I forgot what I have. I have a 525 Sporting, 30-inch barrels, but a Sporting configuration. Then I bought a 525 Field uh, from a guy in North Dakota. He, I happened to see it online, or I was on 16gauge.com. And, yeah. uh, and But prior to that, prior to buying that one, that one's not that old, I had picked up a, and actually prior to buying the 525 Sporting, I picked up a Satori Field. Uh, 16 gauge and that one has 26 inch barrels was one of the first ones i bought but i kill everything with that gun it just it just shoots i can't tell you how many dove uh i just shoot it well it just (laughs) with the 26 and and the funny part is once i pick it up like i'll be shooting 30 inch guns the whole the whole summer going into dove season once i pick that over and up i'm missing out in front i'm swinging the gun so fast because it doesn't have that four inches of extra weight yeah so, but usually the the biggest thing for me, and I can shoot a semi-auto if it kind of feels uh, like a, an over and under that I've been shooting. Like that, I have the new Browning A5. I've had it a couple of years now. That's what I uh, have. In the 16 gauge. Yeah. And uh, um, that gun, it, I shoot it well. I, I shoot yeah. it really well. So. I, I've, strugg- I've struggled with that one. I don't know if it's just, if it's just me or. Um, fit. Have you looked at it for fit, or have you had anybody look at you for fit? I haven't, and that's like, and I don't even know around here. I'd have, I'm gonna have to reach out to someone to see if it's. It, 
length of pole. You have, a big or... mirror in, you have a big mirror in your home? Yeah. Try mounting it and see where your where your eye lines up. Safe, unloaded, nobody yeah, around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, gotta get that in there. Try just throwing it up to your shoulder, mount, you know, like you usually mount, and see where yep. your eye look in the mirror and see where your eye lines up to the barrel on it. Okay. So and the other so like It'll tell yeah. you if it's left or right. Yeah. Or... When you're looking in the mirror, you're going to see: Am I right down the down the barrel? Am I right down the left side of it? The right side of it? That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, where should your where your should pupil, your eye be like on height wise? Pupil hovering right above the uh, the, the rib. If you have a mid bead, you can yep. kind of see like a, a a snowman or a figure eight. You just okay. just a little bit. You don't want to see if you see a whole lot of <clears throat> whole lot of uh, front bead. You're seeing too much. If you see a whole lot of rib and no bead. It, you're having you're having uh, uh, rib occlusion or barrel occlusion. The gun's too uh, low for you. Okay. And if yeah. you're so, if you're seeing <clears throat> if you're seeing too much of the front bead, would that be? Would you be shooting high most of the time? Or Pro- yeah, yeah, probably because so, that yeah, seemed so. to be where I was missing in a yeah. lot of my videos. As I was How shooting about patterning to put it on a pattern board. <sighs> it's okay to no, say no because ninety nine percent of the people that I talk to don't. I just had no, a, a friend I of mine who. Shoot sporting clays all the time, and uh, um, he's just struggling. And he says, "What's going on?" I, you know, blah blah blah. I said, "Did you ever pattern your gun with with your choke of choice?" Because everybody knows there's there's a million choke manufacturers yeah. out there, and all of all of them, all of them, I'll fix my teeth. Offer something for the shooter, whether it's just psychological and confidence that works for you. You want that, right? You know, you you can yeah. trust your equipment. Yep. So, and I believe me, I went through them all. I've gone from extreme chokes, which are like $175 a choke, down to Briley or Briley all the way up to extremes. And, my, and for me right now, my, my safety blanket in choke, my, my confidence builder, is Muller chokes. They just work okay. for me. They do, they're yeah. not heavy. The big thing about them is they, they're clean. They stay clean. I have them for warfare hunting, and I have them for my sporting clay guns. So is Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R? Or I think M-U- it's M-U-L-L-E-R. Okay. Yeah. Uh, guy's Check first name out. is George. A real nice guy. I met him at a couple different shows and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But if you're not patterning your gun, how do you know where to shoot? Yeah, yeah. And, that's and true. pattern it. If you have a rifle rest, yeah. bring a rifle rest with you. If you can, at your club, if you have a big enough backyard or whatever. Just like you're sighting in a rifle at about 30 yards, 26 okay. to 30 yards. Regular piece of patterning uh, paper or if you have a gre- grease paint patterning plate, whatever you're going to use, do shoot a couple of shots there. Whatever your preferred choke is and your preferred round is. So yep. if you're shooting, you know, modified choke and you shoot number six for pheasant or five for pheasant, start off with that, you know, and see okay. where you're at. And then reset the target paper or, or the grease paint. And then shoot a couple like you would just mount and shoot and yep. see where you're at with that. Okay. And it'll, it'll proof is in the pudding, as they say. Yeah. yeah. No, so, that makes ha- sense. How do you grip your forend? I'll give you a little shooter tip. Um, do you want me to grab the gun quick so I can show you? Yeah, it's yeah, literally- sure. All right. Give me a second. So I do have the, the lightning stock, which is pretty nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see if I can. So. Uh, like that? Can you see it? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and I was just looking to see what you were doing with your pointing finger. That's why I asked. Oh, this one. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your pointing finger. I don't know if I can get it on, but for me, I, I'm I'm a I'm a righty. So you see, if this was my forend stock, yeah. See my finger. It's it's pointed, yeah. right? Okay. So yep. what do we Kinda do like, with? Yeah, just yeah. We'll get used Makes to wrapping sense. it underneath or on the side, like that. Okay. So what do we do with a shotgun? We don't aim it. Point right? it. We, point, we point it. Yep. So get used to trusting that hand to point. You know, get get used to that hand-eye coordination, or as I call it for shotgun shooting, eye-hand coordination. You know, when you're point at the bird first. You know, take yeah. it, look at it, look at it, visual acuity, lock on, and then point at the bird, and then trust yourself to do the rest. That makes sense. Yeah. That's actually really good. Really good advice. Yeah. So I'll I'll take that I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, it works. So. I, I I could tell you an instructing story. I won't mention the guy's name because he's 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 pretty big in business. Just found me off the internet, and uh, he goes with a group of businessmen to Arkansas every year on a duck hunt. And he want he was tired of being the low man in the duck blind when it came comes to duck hunting. 
So I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. I got all good equipment. You know, he didn't have anything outrageous. He had really good equipment and everything. He goes, but I just can't hit a target. I can't hit a duck. See what I just talked to you about? Pointing finger. And a, yeah. That's all I did. And I taught him the 4B method. Did you ever hear the 4B method? Nope. Butt, belly, beak, bang. Okay. Pass through. Pass through yep. shooting, right? Butt, belly, beak, bang. It's that's how I grew up uh, hunting. So you're, what you're doing is you're you're a, acquiring a target, the target line, right? So you're starting out behind it. You're grabbing the line true as you're going through it. Now you get to the beak, and you're going to pull away, basically, to, or pass through the bang part as you're building your lead. He, he, he took my one or two lessons off me. Went to Arkansas. He took an, he called me up all excited. Wanted, I want to see it. Took another lesson with me, but he was... I went from low man to high man. He said, pointing finger and the four Bs, Steve. He goes, that's all I need. I haven't seen him since. Great yeah. guy. Haven't heard <laughs> from him or anything like that. But that make as an instructor, that's, oh, yeah. more, than, that's more than I can get than, than you're paying me. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I was living, you know, off of um, just my instructing fees, you know, I, I would, you know, be <laughs> more stoic and, all right, you got two hours and that's it, that kind of stuff, and on yeah. to the next one. And I, I have days where I have – two or three clients lined up yeah and, so I, and I always tell them listen I'm I might be giving you two hours but it's going to be like more like two and a half two hours and 45 minutes so my next client I try to keep it tight when I have my next client coming down yeah. but I always allow in for stoppages along the course and then I can get a little bit long-winded trying to explain something or if, or if they're struggling I don't want them to walk especially the last stand that we're working on frustrated and not breaking a target so yeah. I'm going to spend extra time with them to, yep. to get them to break targets. Yeah, no, that's that makes really good sense. But well, I appreciate coming on the podcast. It was no problem, super informational. Um, had a lot of fun and listening to the stories and just a couple of tips that you gave at the at the end. Um, obviously, you get to see all my my misses that <laughs> yeah I, that I, post. I have a bit of a just starting to explore YouTube, especially since I got the uh, the shot cam. I yeah. just like to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, tutorial where I can. I haven't figured that out yet. How to tie the the one into the other? Where I would say, "Hey, this is we're going to shoot a long crosser here," and oh, watch yeah. us, you know that kind of stuff. I just put videos up. Like I was going to put some duck hunting, uh, duck shooting videos up that that I took today. But yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people want to watch just the shot cam going to shoot a duck with no, you know, no information yeah, yeah. behind it. That kind of stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. When uh, we get offline, I can kind of give you a couple tips of uh, or show you what to use for like a voice overlay. On the- right. I appreciate that. Uh, but anyways, again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Truly appreciate it. Thank uh, you for I having this me. It's going to be uh, informational for people and uh, I think they'll enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to thank you, especially it's my first podcast that I ever did. So thank you for that. And yes. I really enjoyed it. So, yes, so anytime, sure. Anytime you need some advice or whatever, just hit me up on Instagram or shoot me an email. Yeah. I'll be glad to help. I appreciate that. So awesome. We'll we'll talk to you later. Have a good night.